Welcome, and thanks for listening to the New Life Christian Ministries podcast. If you'd like more information about New Life or for more podcasts and other media, go to newlifexn.org. Good morning. Welcome to New Life. We're glad you're here, especially if you're here for the very first time. You braved the weather and you came out and I hope you got some hot chocolate or some coffee, whatever warms you up in that way. And now uh, we're going to we're going to go to the movies. Christmas at the movies is the series theme. Uh, We're going to look at a movie today that we actually looked at a couple of years ago when we did Christmas at the movies before. Last week, of course, Pastor Brad kicked off the series with talking about how Rudolph relates to the story of Jesus. And today it's the Grinch. Now, this year is the 50th anniversary of Dr. Seuss's How the Grinch Stole Christmas. And uh, the day after Thanksgiving, Friday night, they had a 50th anniversary showing with some extended footage and all that. And I missed it because I was at the parade watching New Life's float come in first place again. Um, but but uh, it's one of my favorite all-time Christmas stories, both the animated version and the, uh, the Jim Carrey version. I, I love it because uh, it's a true myth. Now, uh, the word myth is, is a word that we sometimes use to talk about something that isn't true, but I want to use the word myth in the classic sense of the word today. It's something that is true. In fact, a myth is a story that usually contains heroes and villains. As, of course, Pastor Brad reminded us last week, every good story has a hero and a villain, at least one, right? And there's major conflict, but the key thing about a, a true myth is that it tells us something that's true eternally. It's, it's, it points to an eternal truth. And so whether the characters uh, or the events actually happened or not in a myth, uh, at the end of the story, we have learned something about ourselves and about perhaps God, about eternal things. So the, the, the Grinch stole Christmas is a myth in, in the sense of uh, it being true. And I know you're going to laugh when I say that, but it is true because it's based on Christmas, and Christmas is a true fact. Jesus came into the earth um, to be born as the Son of God so that he could rescue us from sin and death. Now, it's hard to see the the Grinch as sort of a true thing because the Grinch himself was a who, and who's don't really exist. At least I haven't ever seen one. Of course, I know they're on a snowflake, so it would be pretty tough to find him. But who's don't really exist, and Um, there's no mention of Jesus in The Grinch Stole Christmas. There's no mention of God for that matter. But what we're going to see as we watch a clip from the movie, uh, the Jim Carrey version, actually, not the animated version this morning, Cindy Lou Who has been trying to understand what is the true meaning of Christmas. She's been asking the question, what is Christmas all about? And she's going around, and nobody seems to care about that question. Everybody in Whoville is caught up with the decorations and winning the decoration contest and buying the best present and getting the best deal on presents. And everywhere, Cindy Lewis just sort of, you know, befuddled, like, there, isn't, is, isn't there more to Christmas than all of this? And, and she actually has an encounter with the Grinch in the back of the post office, and everybody says the Grinch is bad, but the Grinch saves Cindy Lou's life. So she even knows that the Grinch is a good Grinch, a good who, I should say, um, even though nobody else thinks so. But Cindy Lou gets the opportunity to ask the one person that she thinks would really know what Christmas is all about, Santa Claus. But it really isn't Santa Claus. It's the Grinch dressed up because he's stealing Christmas because he believes that the way to get rid of Christmas is to take away all the decorations and all the presents. So in the middle of the night, Cindy Lou and Santa have an encounter. Let's see what happens. Chimney with glee. 
And now, Grind the Grinch. I stuff up the tree. And the Grinch grabbed the tree, and he started to shove, when he heard a small sound, like the coo of a dove. Excuse me. The Grinch had been caught by this tiny hoo daughter, who'd got out of bed for a cup of cold water. Santa Claus, what are you doing with our tree? But you know, that old Grinch was so smart and so slick, he thought up a lie, and he thought it up quick. Why, my sweet little dot. The fake Santa Claus lied. There's a light on this tree that won't blink on one side. So I'm taking it home to my workshop, my dear. <laughs> I'll fix it up there, and I'll bring it back here. Santa, what's Christmas really about? Vengeance! Er, I mean... Presents. I suppose. Hmm. I was afraid of that. And his fib fooled the child. Then he patted her head and he got her a drink, and he sent her to bed. Santa? What? Don't forget the Grinch. I know he's mean and hairy and smelly. His hands might be cold and clammy. But I think he's actually kind of sweet. Sweet! You don't think he's sweet? Merry Christmas, Santa. So, Santa confirms Cindy Lou's worst fear that Christmas is about presents. She says, I was afraid of that. But as we'll see at the end of the movie, Christmas isn't about presents. It's about something more. And we're going to take a detour from the movie, and we're going to go where we always go here on Sunday mornings, to the Word of God. And we're going to see what a gospel writer named John has to say about the true meaning of Christmas. And if you know anything about the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the accounts of Jesus' life, you know that two of them actually tell us about the birth of Jesus, Matthew and Luke, while Mark and John don't. Mark starts with Jesus' preparer, that is John the baptizer preparing the way, and Jesus is a full-grown adult starting his ministry in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1. But in John chapter 1, John goes way farther back than Jesus' birth to tell us who he is and what the meaning of Jesus' life is all about. So what we're going to do, if you have your Bible, you're going to want to turn to John chapter 1, verse 1, or your Bible app. If you don't, it'll be up on the screen, and we're going to see what Christmas is really all about. Before we do that, let's pray together. Almighty God, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you for Jesus. In this season of year when we remember that he was born as a human being so that he could live a perfect life, so that he could die on the cross for us and rise from the dead to show that he is truly God. 
And today, God, we pray that your Holy Spirit, which he gave us as a gift to live in your presence, would fill us right now and would open our hearts that we might hear what you have to say to us, the one truth that shared in your grace and your love might not only change us, but those around us during this Christmas season. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, John starts with Jesus in the beginning. And if those words sound familiar and you're a Bible reader, you know that you will find them at the very beginning of the Bible. The first words of the Bible, Genesis 1.1, when we're told about creation and how God created the universe, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, fast forward to John's gospel, and John says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, who's this Word? Well, it's Jesus, and how do we know that? We don't know that from the first verse, but we know it from the context of the book of John that the Word is Jesus. In fact, we find that out as we read these first 14 verses, which is what we're going to cover this morning. The first 14 verses of the Gospel of John start off by telling us that Jesus, the Word, is God. Now, that's a major claim, isn't it? That, that this being is God. And the word there in the Greek, it's an interesting word, it's logos or logos, and the Greek philosophers of Jesus' day considered the Logos or the Logos to be the divine reason that sort of held the universe together. And it may well be that John wanted any Greek person, any Gentile that read the letter to, or the, the gospel to think in that way. But John was thinking of something more. He was thinking of Jesus as God. Now, if, if you know anything about the teachings of the Jehovah's Witnesses, they don't believe that that's what it should say here. They don't think it says in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. They think it was in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was a God. Not really God with a capital G, but a small g, God. And the reason they think that is because there's no definite article in front of the word God when it appears there in John 1. The interesting thing about that is there are eight times in the New Testament when the word God appears without a definite article in front of it, and it's translated as God in every Bible that you're going to find. And, and seven of the eight times, it's translated as God in the Jehovah's Witness Bible. But the only time it isn't is in this particular verse, because it fits in with the theology that there, Jesus is not God. Now, I'm not here to debate about Jehovah's Witnesses today. What I'm here to do is to show that Jesus is the Word, and the Word is God. That's made clear here in this verse. It's also made clear throughout the New Testament. But what we, we're going to see as we move to verse 2 is how important this Word is. He, that is the Word, was in the beginning with God. So we are monotheists. That means if you're a Christian, you're a monotheist. You believe in one God, but a different kind of monotheist because we believe in one God who has expressed himself in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Not three gods, that would be polytheism, but, but one God in three persons. And, and we're certainly not atheists, right? So there are basically three kinds of people. Polytheists who believe there are many gods, monotheists who believe there's one God, and atheists who believe there's no God. 
You have to fall in one of those categories. So as monotheists, we believe Jesus is the son of the living God, but he is God. And it says right there, he was in the beginning with God. But if there's only one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, where's the Holy Spirit in the beginning? Well, in Genesis 1-2, we find out the answer to that question. It says, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. You see, what John wanted his readers to know is that there is one God and that Jesus is that God. In fact, he underlines Jesus' divinity. The thing about John's gospel is that John's gospel was written many years after Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are more a chronological record of Jesus' life, teachings, death, and resurrection. Actually, two of them have his birth. Um, John, on the other hand, is very, very um, focused on making sure that we understand that Jesus is God. So here's what we could say. We could say simply this, that as we read the four Gospels, we see the first three have many of the same accounts of the life and teaching of Jesus, and for that reason, they're called the synoptic Gospels. Synoptic is just a simple way of saying, actually, it's a Greek way of saying seen together. Sin means together. Optic obviously means see, right? So synoptic means seen together. You can read Matthew, Mark, and Luke. In fact, I've done it. I've read all three of them in one day, and when you do it together, what you say is, wow, these things, same. They really repeat. Most of what's in Mark and Matthew, or, or Mark, I should say, is in Matthew and Luke. So, John is very different. Look what verse 3 says. It says, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And right here, John says, Jesus did the making. Of course he did, because there's only one God, right? So, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all created. And the next thing is, this is so amazing, what This is telling us why Jesus came to the earth. It says, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. So in Jesus, the word was life. And it's interesting because there are three words for life in Greek, and two are used most often, bios, and we get the word biology. It's physical life. So if you have bios, that means you breathe with your lungs. It means that your heart beats and pumps blood throughout your system. It means that you have a mind or a brain that processes information. That's bios. But zoe is the life of God. And if you have zoe in your life, which you get through Jesus, zoe in our lives means that the spirit of the living God connects with our spirit, and so we have the spirit of God in our lives. It means that our hearts not just pump blood, but our hearts are, are, are the heart of God. In fact, King David had the Spirit of God long before Jesus came, and it says David was a man after God's own heart. When he was following the way of the Spirit, that's what happened. And then finally, we have a soul, and our soul is our mind, our emotions, and our will. And when Zoe is in our lives, what happens is our will aligns with the will of God. So, John is very clear that when we have the life, the Zoe of God in our lives through Jesus, then what happens is we're illuminated because, what does it say? He was the light of all people. The theme of light is very prevalent in the Gospel of John. In fact, the very next verse says this, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. We all experience darkness in our lives, all of us. Sometimes it's physical darkness, sometimes it's emotional darkness, sometimes it's spiritual darkness. There are just those times when it doesn't seem like anything makes sense, it doesn't seem like there's any meaning or purpose to life, it doesn't seem like there's even maybe any point or there's no God. And in those dark times, what John says, the word Jesus illuminates. 
if we allow him, if, he let him, if we let him come in. And in fact, you might say, well, that's, that's easy for you to say, but where I am, I, I don't see that. A couple weeks ago during my message, I quoted Psalm 139. King David wrote it to tell us that no matter where we are, God is there. Remember what we said, if you go to the top, top of the tallest mountain, God's there. If you go to the depth of the sea, God is there. No matter where we go, and it even says, darkness is not dark to God. Darkness is light. So we might be in darkness, but if we need to be illuminated, all we need to do, according to John, and obviously according to King David in Psalm 139, is to turn to God because he's always there. He's always waiting to bring light and illumination to our lives. So John offers us this big picture that says that Jesus the Word was with God from the beginning. He co-created everything with God. He is the light that brings life to all of us. And no matter what we're going through in our lives, his light will overcome the darkness that we experience. So that's a rather big and grand picture of what Jesus is, who he is, and what he came to do. But now what, G, what John is going to do to tell us is tell us about Jesus coming here, about Christmas. We call it Christmas, the birth of Jesus, you know. So he's going to tell us first about, about the person who prepared the way. It says this in verses uh, 6 through 8, or I think it might even be 9. Yeah, 6 through 9. He says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. This is John the baptizer, not John who wrote the gospel, not John the apostle. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light the true light which gives light to everyone who is coming into the world. A lot of stuff about light there, isn't there? <laughs> so the true light who gives life to everything and light to everything was coming into the world, and John the baptizer came to prepare the way. If you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you find out a lot more about John the baptizer. You know, and, and In fact, John is asked, point blank, are you the Messiah? The Messiah was the deliverer that the Israelites were expecting to come and, and to restore you know, hope and power, and vitality to the nation of Israel. And John would say, no, I am not. All I am is a voice. That's all I am. I'm just crying in the wilderness, preparing the way for the Lord, for the Messiah to come. And, and so then the next thing, that I, I guess we should sum up this first whole section by saying Jesus is the word, Jesus is the light, and he is the one who came into the world to bring us salvation. And that's what John the baptizer pointed to. Now, before we go to the next verse, I want to interject something. Ever since I was a little boy, I've, I've been interested in God since I was a little kid, and I've been reading the Bible since I could read. And every time I read the Bible, especially these sections about Jesus' birth, I wondered this thing. Why? Why did God not make it more obvious when he came into the world? Why is it that it was such an obscure thing? I mean, think about it. If you're the God of the universe and you're going to come to earth to be among people, don't you think you'd make a big deal about it? I mean, I, I was thinking, one of the things I thought about one time is, wouldn't you think that God would have like rearranged some stars? I know there was one star, but wouldn't you think he'd arrange a whole bunch of stars and it would say, it's a boy with an arrow pointing like down. Don't you think that's what God, but he didn't. In fact, nobody really knew, except a few shepherds, that Jesus was being born in a stable. Only eight miles from Jerusalem, the center of Israel, the center of the, certainly of the, the faith aspect of Israel is Jerusalem. And, and here we are in the, in the city where David was born. Jesus is born. But nobody knows about it except a few shepherds. Mary and Joseph, who are they? 
I mean, there's some couple people from Nazareth. Nobody knows who they are. They're not the king and queen of Israel. You would think if the king of kings and lord of lords is going to be born, that the parents would be a little better known. And as Jesus grew up, he was unknown. In fact, he lived as a refugee in Egypt for a couple of years, and then he came back home, and nobody even heard about him, really, until he was 30 years old. And then he started his ministry. And yeah, there were, there were actually a lot of crowds who came after Jesus, but they came because Jesus healed sick people, cast demons out of people, and fed them when they were hungry. They didn't come because they really, really wanted the Messiah or thought that he was the Messiah. In fact, there's only, as far as we know, one day in Jesus' entire life when they recognized him for who he was. We call it Palm Sunday. Jesus came riding into Jerusalem, and everybody shouts, Hosanna, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the son of David. So for one day out of his whole entire life on the earth, Jesus is recognized for who he is by the people of Israel. But here's what John says to remind us of how unknown he really was. It says, he, that is Jesus, or the word, was in the world, and the world was made through him. He created the whole world, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. So Jesus' own could mean the Jewish people, or it just could mean all people, but by the context, we think it means the Jewish people. He came into Israel, and they were looking for the Messiah for hundreds of years. They were looking for this political deliverer, and they didn't recognize him. Nobody recognized that it was Jesus. And so the thing is, by the time John wrote his gospel, a lot of people didn't know who Jesus was. They knew that Jesus had been born, you know, in humble circumstances. They knew that Jesus had grown up and lived a perfect life. They knew that Jesus had died on the cross, risen from the dead, and gone back to heaven and sent the Holy Spirit. And thousands and thousands of people had become believers. Now, in the, these verses where we just read, nobody recognized him. Nobody knew who he was. But look what it says next. It says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Wow. Let's look at that, that statement again. Everyone who believes in him, not just believes about him. You know the difference between believing in and believing about Believing about means you believe that there was a guy named Jesus who lived 2,000 years ago, just like you believe that there was a guy named George Washington who lived, you know, a couple hundred years ago. That's believing about. You don't have to have any investment. But believing in means putting your full trust in. I believe in Jesus means I put my full trust in him. I know that he's who he says he is. And if we do that, what does it say? It says he gives us the right to become the children of God. How amazing is that? I mean, that's awesome that we, common, ordinary human beings, get to be children of the living God. Now, there's a lot of days that I think about that, pretty much every day, actually, because, you know, I don't know if you ever had this kind of experience. I had one of these days yesterday where everything didn't go right. I could say everything went wrong, but everything didn't go right. All right. And so from the moment I got out of bed and started and I have a project going on in my basement, I've been remodeling my basement. I should say modeling my basement because it was never finished. Right. Okay. But anyway, that project's been going on for five weeks and yesterday was a disaster. Nothing went right. And, and as I think about that, and, and I had to go to Lowe's and pick up some stuff that I didn't think I had to do, you know, and then people were slow, you know, how it is at this time of year. Anyway, I just had to stop and I had to step back and go, I am a child of God. <laughs> I'm a child of the God of the universe, the God who created everything. I'm his son. So 
You know, as some people would say, take a chill pill, Chris. No, I don't need that. I need Jesus. And so I stopped and I, and I, I did that. I really stopped and said that. And we all need to realize. It says, notice what it says, not born of blood, not of the will of the flesh, not of the will of man, but of God. This isn't a human thing. This is a divine thing. And, and so we should always, always, always remember, especially when things are going bad, but even things, when things are going great. We're children of the living God. We're children of the living God because of Jesus and because he came into the earth. And, and, and so we could say it this way. Jesus' presence makes all the difference. Jesus' presence in our lives makes all the difference. It can change a bad day into a good day and a good day into a great day and a great day into, I guess, an awesome day, right? Because Jesus' presence in us transforms us and changes everything. So the climax of John's introduction to this letter um, shows us the meaning and purpose of humanity. It says this, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Every time I read those words, the Word became flesh and lived among us, I, I, I stop and think about that. The God of the universe, who had never had a human body, I mean, I don't really know what God is going to look like when we get there. Well, I know what Jesus is going to look like. I mean, I, don't, I sort of think I do. And, and, but, but God, what, what does he look like? He's, he's divine. He's omnipotent, omniscient. All those omni words, you know, means he's everywhere and he's all-powerful and all-knowing and all that. And, and, and he empties himself is what the Apostle Paul called it in Philippians 2. It says, he emptied himself and became Jesus, a physical human being. And, and the thing that Isaiah tells us about God is that as high as the heavens are above the earth, so high are my ways. That is God's ways above your ways and my thoughts above your thoughts. So think about that just for a moment. I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but what would it mean for God's thoughts to be as high as the heavens are above the earth, above our thoughts? Well, the nearest star is like, like millions of light years away, right? And a light year is like six trillion miles. So if God's thoughts are higher than heaven is above the earth, then our thoughts Whoa, we're pea brains, right? I mean, I know we don't want to think about it that way, but we are. Compared to God, we have a tiny little brain. It's sort of like Billy Graham's analogy. It's sort of like an ant compared to a human being. And actually, I think God is so much higher than us, it's even more than an ant to a human being. And yet, that being became one of us and dwelt among us. And it says, we have seen his glory. That's the coolest thing about John and the other apostles. They actually got to see the glory of God in this man. And, and remember what happened when Moses went up on the mountain to get the Ten Commandments? When he came back down, he was in the presence of God for 40 days. And when he came back down, his face was glowing. And, and so that's the glory of God. God's glory is incredible. And Jesus displayed that glory in his daily life. And then it says he was full of grace and truth. Here at New Life, we talk a lot about truth and love because in Ephesians 4, the Apostle Paul says when we're mature what we will do is we will speak the truth in love. And so we speak about that all the time, the meshing of truth and love. Well, grace and truth is very similar to truth and love. Grace and truth is, is held together perfectly in Jesus Christ and, and never has been held perfectly by any of us. But because Jesus is the word to become flesh, he has fullness of grace and truth. And he gives that to us as we trust in him as Savior, which means he saves us from sin and death, and as Lord, which means he owns us. He is our master. 
When that happens, we start to have this connection of grace and truth, of truth and love in our lives. And it, it's a lifelong process, and we never, we never get to be fully like Jesus. But the key is we must continue in the power of the Holy Spirit to let the, the truth and the love of God, the grace and the truth of God come together. Because when we have just truth without grace or love, it's very harsh. And, and when we have grace and love without truth... It can just sort of be syrupy, you know. It's, 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 not, it's not what God intended for us to have. So when Jesus became a person, when the fullness of grace and truth took on flesh and be present here, life changed for every person forever. That's what Christmas is all about. Christmas is all about the God of the universe determining that our lives would not be lived in futility, that our lives would not be lived as slaves to fear and sin, but as his children, God determined that he would redeem us, would free us from everything that we needed. And, and it all happened because he became a person so he could relate to us. What we see in that is Christianity is not a religion at its core. It's a relationship, a relationship between the living God and us. So that's what Christmas is all about, God's present in, presence in us through Jesus' presence with us. And so today's take-home point is a little play on words. And uh, for those of you who are new, the take-home point is the one point that we seek to make and, and take home and live it out in the week ahead. And so everything I've said so far has been building to this truth, and here it is. The true meaning of Christmas isn't presence, but Jesus' presence. Cindy Lou is right. There's more to Christmas than presence. Cindy Lou, who was absolutely right, it had to be about something more than just presence. And as we're going to see in this final uh, clip that we're going to watch this morning from the Grinch, it's Christmas Day, and the Grinch has stolen every present, every decoration, every piece of holiday food, everything from every household in Whoville. And he's up on the top of Mount Crumpet getting ready to dump all the stuff over the hill over the mountain, and celebrate that he has stolen Christmas. And here's what happens. Mr. Grinch! Mr. Grinch! Now for the final note in my symphony of downright nasty, not niceness, the crescendo of my odious opus. Oh, the wailing and the gnashing of teeth. The bellowing of the bitterly bombed out. It'll be like music to my ears. Then the Grinch heard a sound rising over the snow. It started in low, then it started to grow. Huh? Huh? But the sound wasn't sad. Why, this sounded merry. But it was merry. Very. Every who down in Whoville, the tall and the small, was singing without any presence at all. <laughs> hadn't stopped Christmas from coming. It came. Somehow or other, it 
cream, just the same. <laughs> Mr. Grinch! And the Grinch, with his Grinch feet, ice cold in the snow, stood puzzling and puzzling. How could it be so? It came without ribbons. It came without tags. It came without packages, boxes, or bags. And he puzzled and puzzled till his puzzler was sore. Then the Grinch thought of something he hadn't before. Maybe Christmas. He thought. Doesn't come from a store. Maybe Christmas. Perhaps. Means a little bit more. And how much more it does mean than the presents and the packages. And if you watch the rest of the movie, what you see is the Grinch's heart grows three sizes. And it's a wonderful image of what happens in our lives. Because as Pastor Brad reminded us last week, every story has heroes and villains. And a lot of time we think we're the hero, but we're actually the villain until Jesus comes in and changes our hearts. And so the Grinch gets a new heart. And that's what happens to all of us when Jesus becomes Lord and Savior in our life. We're transformed from the inside out. And because of that transformation, what happens to the Grinch? He saves Cindy Lou again. He had saved her once, and now he saves her again. And all the packages, and they go back down to Whoville, and he passes out the packages, and he celebrates Christmas, and actually invites everybody in Whoville up to his home for the Christmas feast. And, and the Grinch is different. From that day forward, the Grinch is different. And that's what Christmas is really all about. And so here is the commitment for all of us. I will focus on Jesus' presence in my life and sharing it with others through the Christmas season. So it's not about presence, P-R-E-S-E-N-T-S, but about his presence, P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E, in our lives. We have two weeks. It's two weeks from today till Christmas, right? And in those two weeks, we have the opportunity to go out and we, we're going to meet a lot of Grinches, I can guarantee you. I was almost one yesterday, you know? And as we go out and meet those Grinches, what are we going to do? Are we going to be Grinchy back? Or are we going to share the presence of Jesus that's in our heart with them? Who knows? We might just save Christmas for a Grinch who needs to have his or her heart grow two or three sizes in this season. And that's why. Christmas came so our hearts could be changed, so that we could change the hearts of others, so that we can be the family of God, the children of God that we were created to be. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you so much that you call us your children, sons and daughters, through the blood of your son Jesus shed on the cross, through all that he is and all that he has done, and most importantly, God, through his resurrection, which demonstrates the power of transformation that is available to us. God, I pray this day that in these next two weeks, until Christmas comes, that our focus will be on your presence, P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E, -E, in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.